Thank you. Thank you for that. I want to start with a story. Uh, my brother, my dad, and I get the opportunity kind of to do urban exploring. So every year we head to a B-rated city to just explore it for a few days. That's literally our agenda. And so you might be asking, what's a B-rated city? Well, it's not the kind of place you'd go on vacation, you know, for a week too. So it's not Chicago. It's not New York City. It's not San Francisco. So we go to these B-rated cities and we explore and we try to not be tourists as much as possible. We try to eat at local restaurants, do things that locals would want to do. One year we made a mistake and we actually did a Segway tour. So enough said. We were the ultimate tourists uh, that week, but we love exploring in these cities. And so uh, one of these years, we were in a city, uh, and we're following Siri. And so if you know you're following maps in your phone, and you're taking a bunch of left turns, and you're like, I think we've gone in a few circles right now. No offense to Siri, but she has no idea where she's going a lot of the time. And so we're going and taking all these lefts, and I'm like, I have no idea where we are in this city. I feel completely lost, and yet it's telling me to take the next left. It's telling me we're going the right direction. And in that moment, you know what I do? I zoom out. I do the kind of little zoom out thing and go, oh, okay, there's where we're at. Now I know we're going in the right direction and we can find where we are heading. In that moment, we are functionally lost, even though we know where we're going next. We know the next turn. And I think that's the analogy that fits this morning is that so much of the time in our lives, we are functionally lost. Maybe we know what we're doing tomorrow. We know what we're doing right after that. We know what we're doing in an hour. And we're go, 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 overwhelmed, stressed. The burden of life is upon us all the time, and we feel the weight of that. But let me just say, in the midst of that, I think we're functionally lost. And we need to take an opportunity to zoom out. To zoom out and get an eternal perspective. Now, I just want to say to you, if you feel stuck this morning, feel, feel like you're stuck in your pain, you're stuck in frustration, you have big decisions, you don't know which direction to go, then this morning's for you. Let me say, if you don't feel that way, then maybe you get a chance to look back. And my prayer this morning is perspective, that God would give us a zoom-out perspective on our lives that says not only where we are, but where we're going in light of where we are right now. We're going to be in a book, uh, kind of a fun, small book that's a letter called 1 John. And I'm told that the high school students are going to be studying through this uh, this week. So 1 John, not an accident that we're here. So this little book, but is jam-packed with goodness. So all kinds of stuff, but, but let me give you a little bit of background on this letter. It isn't just a letter, but to, to feel the texture of this letter, like letters were written into real people in real places, it was actually a letter meant to be passed around to the different churches of Asia Minor. So modern-day Turkey, there were churches scattered all over that Paul and others write to. It was meant to be passed around to these different churches. But who is this guy named John? Well, John was uh, number one a fisherman called in early retirement to be a disciple. He followed Jesus closely, and he wasn't just one of the 12. Jesus was very close with him. So Peter, James, and John were the inner ring, the inner circle. Jesus' boys, his buddies, if you will. He led them behind the curtain of his life. And I'll talk just a little bit more about John in a moment, but I want to zero us in on the one thing today. What are we focusing on today? What is our one thing is this? Zooming out into eternity yields hope in the now. Zooming out into eternity yields hope in the now. John had a close-up picture of Jesus. 
that allowed him to zoom out into eternity. You see, he walked with him. He was in the dust of the rabbi, Jesus himself. He was in the good moments and the hard moments. And for a minute, can you just imagine what it would have been like to walk closely with Jesus? And by closely, I mean he was probably the human who was closest to Jesus. He was called the disciple whom Jesus loved. Talk about that for a title. But he was also called the son of thunder, right? He and his brother James were called the sons of thunder. I mean, what a cool title. Not exactly sure why they were called that. Let me just say, that is an awesome nickname. I would love to be called a son of thunder by Jesus himself. So, and they, they walked directly with Jesus. They saw the stories. They felt the miracles. And he's actually going to talk from that firsthand perspective. Many times we talk about Jesus from so far away, so distant, and he was so close. And it allows him to zoom out and give us a perspective. He was also Jesus' half-cousin and this human that walked so closely with Jesus. Now, did I mention he's a fisherman, all right? Fishermen tell the truth except when it's about how many fish and how large the fish were, right? So fishermen, they don't mince words, but in this case, he tells us directly how it is. He heads straight into this, and the purpose of this, right, the texture of what's going on, of real people in real places, there are twofold. Two purposes of this letter confront their false teaching and their false living. They were teaching falsely, living falsely, and that was coming out in their actions and in some of the ugliness and brokenness of what they were experiencing. Secondly, to reassure them of eternal life. They had forgotten, and they needed to be reassured. So here we go. We're going to zoom out this morning and ask that through this small book, God would give us this huge picture of eternity and therefore our lives. Here we go. This is 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Let me stop there. Do you see that? Heard, seen, looked at, touched. This is not a distant perspective from somewhere in the distance. I heard of a guy who might have met this guy named Jesus. I walked with him. I was there. And there's this word that I've begun to use that I could imagine that, that John would have felt. It's terrified, Terrified and excited, all wrapped up in one emotion. You know that feeling? Where you're like, I'm super exciting, and I'm sweating really hard right now. Like, that must have been the life of these disciples. This terrifying life. To, to have heard, seen, looked at, and touched first-hand account of doing life and ministry with Jesus as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Verse 2, And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. Let me translate a little bit. He's saying, my life has been changed. Our lives have been changed. We've seen how this kingdom life matters, and now I can't not share it. You ever, ever had anything you can't not share? You just simply have to share it. It just oozes out of you. This letter's just oozing out of John. He knows the truth now. But let me ask you a more personal question. Has Jesus transformed your life? Has Jesus transformed your attitudes Corey was talking about generosity earlier. What a crazy 
And if you don't understand the kingdom of God, stupid idea. To, to be generous, to like live a life bigger than ourselves in a culture that says, me, 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 I want to get, I want to take, I want to consume, that I might be generous and the freedom that flows through that. Has Jesus changed your perspective on what matters? Has Jesus changed the things that you value in life? The things you spend your time and your money and your best energy on? And if he has, have you let that ooze out of you? Have, have you let that shape your life and your story? Have you shown it to other people? Have you told other people about that? Because something about good news is just meant to be told to other people. Many of you would say that God has transformed your life. And God wants to use your life to transform other people. Many times, our greatest pain becomes our greatest area where we can show the love of Jesus. Many times our greatest areas of pain become the greatest joy in our life. That God had to use that one way to shape us. And let me just say this. Some of you this morning look back in your life and you've experienced a lot of pain and you saw God do some cool things through it. Some of you say, I'm, I'm in that pain today. I know what that's like to be in that pain. I know what that's like the moment that I was in that fog saying, God, I, I don't know where to go. From here, Some of you are in that moment right now, and you feel stuck. And as we zoom out today, I would, I would say that, that some of you right now are feeling the sourness of your life. And are saying, like, this is not sweet right now. This is not what I thought I was being invited into. And your life is feeling bitter and sour like a lemon today. But I believe, as we look ahead, that God wants to shape much of the sourness of our lives into sweet lemonade. Oh yeah, that's good. Summertime, right? Thinking about what God has taken in our lives and maybe squeezed into something that is beautiful. God takes brokenness and makes it beautiful. God takes this obscure fisherman and uses him to shape the world and us in the process. Let me just say, I am fascinated by movements. Not just like hey, uh, here's this flash mob in the mall, although that's cool to watch for a second on YouTube, but real movements, like where people changed the world, changed other people in the process. From the early church to movements happening right now in the Middle East, the church in China that grew underneath persecution, people meeting underground, incredible things happening. Millions of followers of Jesus arising with way, way, way less education and opportunity than us simply because they were obeying Jesus. And there's a guy who, who studied this, and he wrote a book about it. His name's Steve Addison, and he wrote this book called Movements That Change the World. And here's his big question. How does it happen? How do they do it? How do a few people begin to change more people and then see these massive explosions of God, these God movements happening? And at the end of his book, spoiler alert, I'll save you about 200 pages, at the end of his book he says this, the only thing he could conclude was that transformed people transform the world. Transformed people transform the world. That God uses those people who have the first-hand look, who, who have tasted and seen and touched the goodness of God to actually touch the goodness of God in other people's lives. That God would use our story and would actually shape and transform other people through us. The crazy thing about life and faith and calling is this. When you look backwards, it makes sense. 
you look backwards and go, oh man, that was the hardest moment. And God has brought such pain into such joy. God has brought such brokenness, ugliness, into such goodness. The word we might use would be redemption. He has redeemed it. He has repurposed it. And we can see that when we look back. But calling and faith doesn't make sense when we look forward. That's why it's called faith. It's so confusing. I don't know in this moment how this gets me to there. I don't even fully know where I'm going. And I pray that this book would be a, a short wake-up call for us to just zoom out, get a greater perspective that transformed people transform the world. Now, what do we do with a message that is so good that we've experienced it and we simply just have to get it out of us? Of course, we share it with other people. We can't not. It's that good. It just, you know, comes out of us. And there was this moment, I remember we're at a restaurant with a friend and, and she said to my wife and I, she said, hey, have you heard about this thing called the stimulus? The economic stimulus? Like the government's going to send us free money. And I was like, no, the government doesn't send us money. They ask for our money. There's no way. Why would a government give people money for just existing? And then magically, like two weeks later, this check came to my mailbox, and it was free money from the government. It was crazy. Some of you were like, did that really? Yes, like this is real. This happened. And I literally, I couldn't believe it. So you know what I did? We told that person, guess what? We, we got that free money. I told other people, you might be getting free money. It's crazy. The government's giving out money. We can't not share this. That's the natural reaction to good things. Now, some of you think for a moment, what's your favorite band? How many people have you told about that? What's your favorite restaurant? How many people have you told about that? I'm told around here that when it comes to sports, some of your pastors, maybe your lead pastor specifically, is kind of a fan of Kentucky basketball. I am not. Like, maybe he even wears the shirt a lot. Maybe he even talks about Kentucky basketball a lot. He can't not share about it. I've heard things like this, for example. That we just share about those kind of things. But you know that you're part of the movement when this. Like, it gets real. You get so involved in the moment when you put the sticker on your water bottle. Like, that's the moment right there. Or maybe slap it on the back of your car. Like, okay, that's it. I have the sticker. Like, I'm advertising for these people or the sparkling water. Like, whatever the big deal is to you, like, that's my brand. And they're so glad you're advertising for them, by the way. You can't not share it because you're part of the movement. John's saying, I can't not share this. I've seen it. It's that good. It changes me. It changed this group of people. And it is indeed going to change the world. And I can't not share it. Verse 3. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. When something is so good, we simply must share it. Our joy, the circle of this, the cycle of this, is that until we share something, I don't believe it's fully realized. Our joy isn't yet complete. What happened in the best moments of your life? What do you do the moment after engagement? When for whatever reason my wife said yes to be able to marry me, I called a bunch of people and said, hey, guess what? Like my joy is made complete in telling other people this great news that is still unbelievable to me that she said yes to marry me. The best messages are meant to be lived and meant to be shared. 
The best messages are meant to be lived and to be shared. You've been transformed by Jesus. Are you letting Jesus transform other people through you? Through the way that you live, the way that you talk, your actions and the things that you say. It's a show and tell situation. Let me just say, we live in a cynical and skeptical culture. People need to see it lived out. People need to see others transformed by the gospel. We call this the gospel-shaped life. That God is constantly shaping us, sitting over a potter's wheel, shaping our life. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. I love that. We've heard it and now we announce it to you. That God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now let me unpack that just a little bit. Let me start with the word fellowship. It says we have fellowship with others. Now, if you grew up in the church, when I was a little kid, I grew up in this church, and there was a fellowship hall. There'd be fellowship time. Let me just say that it's a weird word, okay? Like, we get together, hey, would you want a fellowship? What do you mean? Like, we're going to watch a game? We're going to sit by a fire pit? We're going to go do something? Let's fellowship together. What exactly does that mean? And I'll unpack that just a little bit. But fellowship with one another, and then the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us. So I see two results here in this passage from the light of Jesus. Number one, Jesus cleanses us from our sin. We hear that a lot. That's the narrative. That's the kingdom life and the perspective of Jesus from his life, his death, his resurrection. Jesus cleanses us from sin. Here's the second one we don't hear as much. We experience a common bond and a connection with others. There's this common bond and connection with others that happens, all right? If we liken it back to sports, everybody in the arena with the same t-shirt as you, cheering for the same people. I remember growing up, and my team, I was probably 10 years old, my team scores a touchdown, and I look around, and everyone's celebrating, and there's a dude who I don't know, and he's about four over, and he looked at me, and he's like, yes! And I, I ended up in his arms. I think he twisted me around. I mean, I was so small. I was like, I don't even know this dude, but I don't even care, because we scored a touchdown. We won the game. There's this fellowship when we're on mission together. But how does this speak into our culture today? How do these two speak into our culture today? Let me start with an epidemic in our culture that we're experiencing right now. It's called loneliness. It's disconnection. We have the illusion of connection in our culture today. And let, me, let this irony rest on you this morning, is that we've never been more connected than we ever have in the history of the earth. We've never had more ways to be able to connect with other people, be able to call them, text them, message them, you know, whatever, a way to hit other people up. And yet, we've never been lonelier than we are today. There is a great disconnect between what things appear to be on the outside and what things actually are. Our culture is dying on the inside from loneliness. And what this, what this passage promises us is there's a deep connection in the family of God, the church. And how does this speak into our culture in the idea of cleansing us? Well, brokenness. We live in a broken culture broken in the ways that we think and the ways that we live everything from the deepest parts of who we are 
from inside of our minds and inside of our hearts and souls and our longings, from sexuality to the ways that we literally behave with integrity in the numbers that we crunch in our dealings in the course of the week. We are broken and we know it. And the gospel speaks life into brokenness, freedom into brokenness through confession, as we'll see. There's a freedom that can be experienced for the broken, and there is a deep connection and kinship that can be felt for the lonely. This passage is so key to our culture today, so relevant for today. Let me share two things here. A gospel-shaped life connects the lonely and cleanses the broken. A gospel-shaped life, it connects the lonely and cleanses the broken. Scripture even says God puts the lonely in families. And I don't just mean in terms of physical adoption, but I mean in terms of relational connection, a deepness, a mission, a common bond we feel together. And secondly, a gospel-shaped life transforms our love for God and people. And people. It's a both and, not an either or. It's a vertical relationship with God, and it's a horizontal relationship with one another. It teaches us how to respond to God's love and how to respond with other people. Maybe one of those feels more cracked or broken to you. Maybe you feel stuck inside of one of those. Like you're praying and it's just hitting the ceiling and you're not hearing anything from the Lord. You're trying to reach out and you still feel so lonely. Let's continue on in Scripture, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. And here's the word again, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Let me translate from fisherman speak right here. Don't pretend that you're perfect. He's saying, come on, come on. We're, we're all here, right? We're all broken. We're all sinners. C can we just establish that? But he says, confess your sins. In confession, there is freedom. Don't pretend you're perfect. But let me just say this, guys. Pretending always leads to performing. And the opposite is true as well. Performing always leads to pretending. Think about it. If you are performing on a stage, if you've ever done drama or acting, what happens when you forget the lines? You're probably going to go make something up, right? Pretend. You don't have to pretend in order to perform so you can receive God's love. God loves you. God loves us. Even in our broken and lonely states, God brings us into fellowship with him and one another. Now, there's a lot of talk in here about light and darkness. Well, what, what's all this? Well, let me contextualize it for Colorado here. Um, I'm a huge fan of camping. Anybody here love camping? Okay, some people really love camping, so they're not here, so they may be watching the video later. Hope you had fun. No rain, no fires, all that. And so as we're camping, let me tell you what I don't think about my flashlight in the middle of the day. I'm out exploring, we're at, you know, off-roading, fishing, doing whatever we're doing, and it's really fun. I don't think a lick about my light because it's not dark yet. I, if I'm wise, begin to think about my light as it's getting cold, it's getting dark, and I'm saying, wait a minute. I think that I should probably look for my light, right? I should probably get my stuff settled in the tent and all that. I don't always do that, right? You know when I really, really, really need my light? When I'm stuck in my sleeping bag in the middle of the night and I have to pee, all right? 
maybe I'm the only one that that happens to, but you're literally trapped within this sack with a zipper on it that, you know, like just your face is sticking out. You don't know how to get out of this thing in the middle of the night, and you got to go like 10 minutes ago. I'm like, please, light, be right here. That's the kind of situation that we're talking about here. When you know that you're in the darkness and there's an urgency, let me say this, guys, desperate moments in the darkness lead to desperate hunger for the light. If you're not hungry for the light of Jesus, then maybe you're not in the darkness right now. Do you remember when you were? (laughs) Do you remember when you just felt like you were swimming in darkness, you had no way forward? Maybe God lit a path just well enough for you to be able to see where you were going, that next right step. If you've ever felt like you're in a fog before, if you ever experienced depression for short seasons or long seasons, you feel like, I don't know which way is forward. I don't know what is next. Some of you feel stuck right now in a sour season, in a season that you say, I would never wish for that. That is not what I ask God for. This is not good. This is not happy. This is not joyful. But let me just say, don't forget to to pray and ask for perspective. That God might squeeze those lemons into lemonade that God might squeeze and churn all of what we're going through and add other parts to it so that it can be made redemptive because we know that transformed people transform the world. Desperate moments in the darkness lead to desperate hunger for the light. Maybe you're stuck right now and you need to confess and experience freedom. Maybe you don't know why you're stuck right now. You don't know the next right decision. You don't know the next right step. You feel stuck for whatever reason. Maybe it's not sin. Maybe it's just what you're feeling right now. Maybe it's physical disabilities. I don't know what you're wrestling with, but God does. Maybe nobody else in this room knows how stuck you feel right now. But let me just say this. God wants to take those sour lemons and squeeze them into lemonade. Will you let him? Maybe you've looked back and you see it in your past. You see how God did it. You thank him for that. Take a moment and just soak in that gratitude. Maybe in the response time after this, remember those moments. Some of you say, I'm so stuck, I can't see the way ahead. Well, pray for it. Ask God to let you zoom out to see a greater perspective of what he's doing. A gospel-shaped life speaks freedom into folly. There's this beautiful thing called confession. Speaks freedom into folly. You are not defined by the mistakes of your past. Let God squeeze those sour lemons into sweet lemonade. And one thing I know as well, when we we talk about getting perspective, I believe the best way to get perspective on the present is to zoom out into eternity. Here's the reality. You weren't meant for van trips across town. You weren't built for trips to the grocery store to get food. You weren't built for just running kids all around town to do the next thing. You weren't just built to work 16 hours a day. You weren't built to be stressed and overwhelmed and busy and exhausted all the time. We are built for eternity. And when we zoom out, we get a little bigger perspective on the now. Because see, zooming out into eternity yields hope in the now. If you feel stuck, realize this isn't your final destination. God is working on you and churning you, not just for eternity in heaven, but so that God can use your life to impact and affect 
other people. In short, eternal perspective should yield hope. When was the last time you asked God to give you an eternal perspective? Maybe today needs to be that moment. My friend Michael, in his ebook Lemonade, he says this. He says, hope is like lemonade. It isn't pure sweetness. It isn't just unbridled optimism or victory or the other side. It is the good and the bad and the sour and the sweet, the impossible and the miraculous. It's all of it. Pressed and squeezed and stirred together. It's mixed until it can't be separated, until it's all the perfect parts made into the whole. How is God squeezing lemons in your life to become lemonade? Redeeming and repurposing even the hardest most broken pieces of life into lemonade. We are deeply loved by a God who's in the business of squeezing lemons into lemonade. So what is God squeezing the sour moments of your life into? I want to ask you to zoom out. I want to ask you to continue reading. Like, if you would dare, keep reading the rest of this book. This little book gives us this huge zoom out perspective of an eternal look at who we are, at who God invites us to be, what we're invited into, this eternal thing that is the kingdom of God that we get to live out. And so if you keep reading 1 John, there's a couple, uh, there's a lot of goodies for you, but if you keep reading it, you'll see these things. Jesus is an advocate for us and for the whole world. Jesus is an advocate. Next thing, God transforms us and then our actions transform. He's in the transformation business. We need to keep our eyes on eternity. More of what we talk about today, you'll see in the rest of this little book. Keep reading. You'll see that loving God and loving others are two sides of the same coin. They're not disconnected. They're two sides of the same coin. And lastly, if you keep reading this little book, you'll see those who trust Jesus find hope to overcome the world. Right now, many of us in this room feel overcome by the world. And yet, described in Scripture as more than conquerors, that God not only built us for eternity, but promises He has overcome the world. Like, we're with Him. We're with Jesus, just as John say, says, we know it. We've felt it. We've tasted it. We've touched it. Multi-sensory experience to know it's for real. Like, I taste it. This is the gospel. We need to keep our eyes on eternity. So the principle of one, I want to leave you guys with this question. Have you taken time to zoom out and get a bigger perspective of what God is squeezing your life and your pain and your joy into? And if you haven't, take that time. Take that time this morning. Take that time as you go. Pause life for a second. Turn the radio off. Turn that podcast off and listen to God. Look back and say, God, give me perspective. What you've squeezed out of those terrible and boring and frustrating moments of life and what you might squeeze into my future. Take time to zoom out this week. Ask God for an eternal perspective. And remember this, that we are deeply loved by a God that takes sour, bitter lemons and turns them into lemonade through the redemption of this great gospel. John tells us of it. 
We know it, and if we've been transformed, God wants to transform others through us. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Some of us thank you from the storm, from the pain, from the frustration, in the midst of the fog. God, I pray for those in this room who feel stuck right now, who don't know the way forward, don't know what's next, don't know how to get there, don't even know where there is. God, give us an eternal perspective. God, for those who have seen you show up big and you've transformed our lives, God, thank you transforming the way we think, the way we act, the way we talk, the way we live our lives, God, we want more of that. And for those who have not yet been transformed by you, those who are waiting, those who are asking, God, would you show up? Would you transform? Would you squeeze the sour, bitter lemons of our life into sweet, sweet lemonade that is the taste of the kingdom of God? And all of God's people said, amen.